Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We won't ask anybody to raise their hands, but if, if we were to take a poll tonight, how many people would say, I know 100% for sure I'm where God wants me to be. I know 100% for sure I'm where God has called me to be. That's a tough question, isn't it? And uh, these, these verses, if we take a closer look at them, I think you're going to find that it's really worth the trouble. We're going to go on a treasure hunt tonight. It's kind of like a lady going to a thrift store. <laughs> She's going on a tre treasure hunt. She's going to try to find just that article of clothing, the right size, the right brand, and it's going to meet the need. Uh, and so it's kind of like me when I'm hiking in Colorado. I'm looking for a rock. I just, I love iron pyrite and all these other crystals and stuff. And, or maybe you're doing woodworking and you've done all this work on the wood and then you put the stain on and the grain pops out. And you say, wow, God hid that, hid that beauty for all these years. And with this work, we put the stain on there and the grain. And you say, wow, I get to see what God did. All that beauty that God created is now revealed. Well, we're going to go on a treasure hunt tonight. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for this day. Help us to find the treasure that's found in these two verses and help us to trust you more and serve you more effectively. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's an interesting thing. You take a look at these verses, and it talks there about a renewal of the mind in verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's almost like it's saying here that we should not think like the world. We should not act like the world. We shouldn't dress like the world. We shouldn't make decisions like the world makes decisions. It's easier said than done, isn't it? Because the world is just continually pressing and pressing and pressing and pressing and pressing and trying to get us to conform to their way of thinking, isn't it? So the simple truth is, is that there's a constant pressure to be conformed to this world, but God says we should not be conformed to this world, that there's a way that he wants us to live. He wants us to be transformed. So let's take a look at this. And you say, Brother Dan, you know, I think I'm doing pretty good. Well, uh, occasionally a pastor will say, he'll say, um, you know, when you get into trials, when, the, the, when you really get into a rough trial, that's when your character really comes out. The real you comes out. And that's not very encouraging, is it? Because <laughs> a lot of times when we get hit in the nose, <laughs> something happens unexpected. We react, don't we? And we don't react like we would want to react. I was thinking of that when they talk about the friends, somebody punches your nose and then you say, uh, sir, I'm about to swing where thou art standing. <laughs> I would not hurt thee. You know, we say, I'm not that spiritual. <laughs> See, we all agree. We want a transformed, renewed mind. We want to live a life pleasing to God. But why can't we ever seem to get there? Let's take, there's one little word in here. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. That word, therefore. 
When you see the word therefore in a verse, what does it mean? <laughs> That's right. See what it's there for. And so we're going to look at the context. Now, at this point, you think you're going to think I'm crazy. But what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to review the preceding chapters in Romans and see exactly what's happened before this verse. So let's go back. Chapter 1, we see man's need. In chapter 1, in verse 1, Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. That's the theme of the book of Romans, is the gospel. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. And we're all familiar with that. This is a gospel-preaching church. So we're familiar with it. In chapter, in verse 3, it says, Concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made by the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Verse 3 speaks to his humanity. Verse 4 speaks to the fact that he's the Son of God. This is the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did he do? Chapter 1, verse 15, as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is a gospel preaching church because the gospel is powerful. The gospel is what changes lives. The gospel is what saves souls. And that's what this church is all about. See, in the gospel, we see the primacy of the gospel. It's more important than anything else. We see the person of the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the power of the gospel. Through the gospel, people get saved. Their lives are transformed, and they're on their way to heaven. And we see the purpose of the gospel, the depravity of man. You look at the, in this chapter, and you see that every single one of us, the Bible says that none of us have an excuse. All of us are sinners. It says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. The invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. See, all of us are sinners and none of us have an excuse, because God has showed us his, his being, and God has showed us his rules, and we've all broken his rules. Chapter 1, we see the reality of sin. Chapter 1, we see the importance of gospel. Chapter 2, we see that religion can't save us. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou judgest, dost, doest the same thing. See, all of us are sinners. <laughs> And we can recognize sin in other people, can't we? But when we recognize sin in other people, we're aware that we do the same things. So number one, we're all sinners in chapter one. Number one, uh, and also in chapter one, we see our need for the gospel. The gospel is our hope for salvation. Number two, we see that there's no other hope. There's religion cannot save us. Chapter three, we see that the deeds of the law cannot save us. See, God's the judge. It says in verse 4, when thou art judged, it's said in Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. So we all know that we will stand before God as judge, and God is a righteous judge. Yes, he is 100% love. He's 
the best love that the world has ever known, but he's also perfect in his justice. And he cannot pretend that he does, does not see sin. He does see sin. And he has to deal with it. He cannot let sin into heaven. And when we have, unconf- uh, we have sin that's not been dealt with, that we're not s- saved as it speaks of with the gospel, we cannot go to heaven because of that. So God is righteous and he will judge us. The whole world is guilty. In chapter 3, we see here, in beginning in verse 9, uh, well, let's start at, in verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So please stay with me. We're laying the foundation right now. So we see that everybody's a sinner, and we see that we're, we have no excuse for our sin. We see that the only hope for our salvation is the gospel, and we see that all the religions of the world, that none of them can save anybody. With that background, with that background, we look down a little bit farther in this chapter. It says in verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. See, what they're introducing two words here that are very, very important to understand how the gospel saves us. When we understand that Jesus is the Son of God, and when we understand that Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth perfect, virgin-born, and when we understand that he came to earth perfect and he lived a perfect life, and we understand that he went to the cross and he shed his perfect blood and paid the price for our sin on the cross, when we understand that when he did that, he, he, paid, he purchased a gift for us, which is salvation, and he offers that gift to everybody, and if we receive that gift, then we're saved. Understanding that, what happens The first word there is the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, please put on your seatbelts at this point. (laughs) There's three words that translate redemption. The first word, it means to be purchased in the slave market. (laughs) To be purchased in the slave market. So what literally Jesus Christ did with his shed blood, we were in the slave market. We were enslaved by sin. We were in a hopeless situation. We cannot save ourselves. There's no re- earthly institution, earthly religion that can save us. We were in that market, hopelessly bondage to our sin, by our sin. And Jesus came along. <laughs> and when Jesus came along, he took his shed blood and he bought us. He bought us in the slave market. There's another word that's translated uh, redemption, and this one is to buy out of the slave market, never to return again. (laughs) That means that after we get saved, we can never lose our salvation. That means that, that that no matter what a mess we make of our life after we get saved, we still are saved. We may go to heaven without any rewards, We may suffer a lot of grief here on earth, all the consequences of our sin, but we never lose our salvation. The third one is to set free by paying a price. (laughs) Free. (laughs) All the songs that we've got in our hymnal that talk about free. 
free, free, free from this world of sin. Boy, so many songs. Aren't you glad I don't keep singing? <laughs> now, what does propitiation mean? That means the price that was paid. That was the price that was paid in the market to buy us. And Jesus was the price. He was our propitiation. So when we understand that, we were hopelessly lost. And the Son of God came and he bought us. And he set us free. And he, he was the payment. He was the payment. Now, do you see how terrible is our sin that such a great price had to be paid? Now, understanding that, there were some people that said, well, hmm, you need to become a Jew before you can become a Christian. So that's what chapter 4 is all about. Because it, they said, well, uh, and they point out, in, Paul points out in chapter 4 that Abraham was justified before he was a Jew. <laughs> It says, what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but death. See, it was before he was given the law. I mean, before the law, Abraham was justified by faith. Amen? So we don't need to become a, a Jewish proselyte. Chapter 5. What happens is the wonder of justification opens the door to a sanctified life. See, we're not, that's not the end of the story when we get saved. We're not saved to sit. Or as pastor says, we're not saved to sit, soak, and sour. You know, we're saved for a reason. See, all because of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have peace with God of ch chapter one, I'm chapter five, verse one. I'll read that verse. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, we have access to God in prayer. Verse 2, we have hope of the glory of God. Verse 3 and 4, we have victory in our troubles. Verse 5, we have love of God. We have, verse 5, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Verse 9, we're delivered from wrath. And verse 11, we have joy. All those are consequences. All those are blessings. All those are the mercies, the goodness that flows to us once we get saved. Somebody says, could it be possible that one individual, the Lord Jesus Christ, would it be possible that one individual could pay the price for a whole world of sinners, all these generations of human beings? And this chapter ends with a comparison of Adam and Jesus, that by one man, sinner entered into the world, by Adam. So by one man, Jesus, the solution for sin was provided. Now we move on. We're almost to the point that I just, that's really going to help you. So please, thank you for bearing with me. Chapter 6. When, after we get saved, what are we supposed to do? Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How that sh should we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now I want you to look at verses 20 to 23. See what it says. When we were the servants of sin, we were free from righteousness. What do you see what it's saying? When we were servants of sin, we were free from righteousness, which means we were, it was impossible, impossible for us to do anything that was righteous in God's eyes. Isn't that amazing? 
All these religions of the world that say that you get saved by works, it's impossible. Look at verse 21. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Very familiar verse we use in soul winning, but it means a lot in this respect as well, that we turn from a life that we had before, a life of shame, a life where we could do nothing that would please God. And now because we're saved, we have the potential to please God and to serve God. Imagine that. A sinner saved by grace can please God. A sinner saved by grace can serve God. Now, we're at chapter 7 and chapter 8 where the secret is. And the answer to our question, the answer to our dilemma. Look in chapter 7 and look at verses 21 to 25. Remember what we're saying is in Hebrews 12, uh, 1 and, I'm sorry, Romans 12, 1 and 2, we were saying that's a, what seems almost like an ideal that we cannot live. But this is why. Look at chapter 7 in verses 21 through 25. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God for after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. So notice that expression in verse 23, law of my mind. Okay. And bringing me into captivity to the law of sin. That's the other one, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now what's he say? what he's saying in these verses, he's saying, there's the law of the mind that says, I want to serve God. Now that I'm a Christian, I want to serve God. I have a desire to serve God. I realize what he did for me. I realize he saved me. I realize he has a purpose for me. I realize I shouldn't live like I used to live. I realize I should now bring honor to God through the way I live. But I'm always messing up. And the reason is the law of our flesh, the law of sin is stronger than the law of our mind. Are you with me? Now, look at verse chapter 8, verse 1. There is, now, is, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the what? The Spirit. For the law of the Spirit, this is the third law, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. <laughs> so there's three laws. Which is the strongest of the three? The law of the Spirit. The law of the Spirit is stronger than the law of sin. And the law, law of sin is stronger than the law of the mind. Now we see. 
See, what happens, chapters 9 through 11 talk about Israel. So now we go up to, we're going to go back to chapter 12 and verse 1. Now let's look at this. Because now, listen folks, now we understand what the therefore means. Now we understand what the therefore means. Let's go through these verses here, starting uh, in chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you. So he says, I beg you. I implore you. I urge you. The strongest possible words. Please, please, please. Uh, I beseech you, therefore, in light of everything we've seen, brethren. <laughs> the one requirement is to be born again. If we're not a Christian, this doesn't apply. Where are we if we're not a Christian? We are still hopelessly in bondage to sin, and our only hope is the gospel. Our only hope is to get saved. If we get saved, we're going to be set free from the market, and we're never having to go back to the market because Jesus was the payment. Okay. So what it's saying here is um, in verse... I beseech you, therefore, brethren, we're saved by the mercies of God, speaking all the goodness that God has done through us, for us in all this whole process. Did we deserve it? No, it's mercy and grace. Okay. That ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? Now it makes sense, because you realize that what it's talking about is the body. Where was the, the law of sin worked in the body, right? The carnal desires, the old nature. So what it's saying is, yield, what we, it's saying here is that if we submit to the Holy Spirit, we have victory over the body. We have victory over the old nature. We have victory over the law of sin because we're under the law of the Spirit. This is really beautiful. So what's your reasonable service? What's your reasonable service? Consider the fact that we were lost and he found us. We were condemned and he justified us. We were slaves to sin and he redeemed us. We were useless and he sanctified us. We were enemies and he reconciled us. We were orphaned and he adopted us. We were dead and he regenerated us. <laughs> so, what do you think he what do you think he deserves? It says here next verse, be not conformed to this world. <laughs> it's almost like saying, duh. <laughs> You know, what are you doing? Going back to thinking like you used to think before all this happened. Remember what happened. The only begotten Son of God himself came down from heaven in human form, grew up, was born perfect, lived perfect, went to the cross, paid the penalty for your sin with his perfect blood. He was the payment. And that blood is your only hope for salvation. And if you trust Christ as your Savior, if you receive the gift, guess what? You now have the victory. You now have the victory. And because of that, because of that, 
It's this next phrase, be not conformed to this world. Don't think like you used to think. <laughs> How does the world think? Don't think that way. <laughs> have you ever wondered, we won't get into that, things that, have you ever noticed the prices on things now? Say, how could people pay that for that? We won't go there. Um, but I'm just saying, folks, if we really were aware, if we really were aware of this, it would change how we thought. It would change how we make decisions. It would change how we treat other people. This is the most beautiful part. We're in chapter 12, verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. You know that word transformed is? Metamorphosis. Any science people here? <laughs> I see. <laughs> uh, metamorphosis. This is where a caterpillar, you know, with chewing mouth parts that's on your tomato plant, gobbling up the leaves of your tomato plant, that caterpillar goes and hangs on a branch, and a cocoon is formed, or chrysalis, whatever they call it. And inside that cocoon, that caterpillar becomes a butterfly. That is transformed, metamorphosis. Literally, this verse, this verse is, be ye transformed. What does the caterpillar do to cause that to happen? When he's inside the cocoon, is that little caterpillar, does he pull out a tool chest and go to work on himself? <laughs> no! Everything just kind of... <laughs> I don't know how it happens. But you realize when the butterfly comes out, the caterpillar had chewing mouth parts. When the butterfly comes out, it's got a siphon. Or it's the other way. And it stretches out that siphon and sucks nectar. Totally, totally, totally changed. That's what God wants us to be. That's what God says. You have the power to be transformed if you yield to the Spirit. If you yield to the Spirit. God does the transforming. I remember when I got saved. I had been in church all, you know, all these years. At the age of 12, I got I went forward, told God I'd do whatever he wanted me to do. I talked to the pastor. He baptized me that evening, became a member of the church, thought I was, had done what God said, what I should do. But my life didn't change, and I thought, that's strange. No hope, no peace, no joy before. No hope, no peace, no joy afterwards. Hmm. But I looked around. I saw other Christians. I said, maybe that's the way things are. But then we got to the island of Guam. And they gave me a dangerous job, and I realized any day I could die. And I'm thinking, I need to get this settled. The pastor there was saying, you can know for sure you got a home in heaven. I can remember thinking, I hope so, I hope so. I said, no, I, I need to figure this out. So I looked at the verses, and I realized I was trusting in my works. Somehow I understood what Jesus had done, but then I thought I had to do my works too. It, they were wrapped together. And I realized I had to trust in Jesus alone. And I trusted in Jesus as my Savior alone. And guess what God did? He transformed me. No hope, no peace, no joy before. Now I've got hope and peace and joy. 
But more than that, before I had no desire to tell anybody about the Lord. I thought there's something radically wrong. If there really is a heaven, there really is a hell, I should be doing something to help people go to heaven. And then afterwards, guess what? All of a sudden, I've got the desire to do that. And I told, this guy came in my office one day and said, Doc, I'm afraid to fly. And I told him what God had done for me, and he got saved. (laughs) Man, do you realize what happens when we get transformed? Let me give give you a few things out of Romans chapter 8. There's no longer condemnation because we walk after the Spirit. There's deliverance because we're in the law of spirit of life. We have righteousness because we're walking after the spirit, verse 4. Verses 5 and 6, we're spiritually minded because we're after the spirit. We're in the spirit because the spirit of God dwells in you. In other words, there's a relationship there between us and the Holy Spirit. Verse 11, the mortal body is quickened. I, don't, I can't explain that. The mortal body is quickened by his spirit that dwells in you. God changes us physically. He, mortify, we, he mortifies the de- deeds of the body, verse 13, through the spirit. We, we have this, the spirit, Abba, Father, the spirit of adoption, because we're led by the spirit. We have assurance of salvation, verse 16, through the, the spirit bears witness. Did you hear that? We have assurance of salvation because the spirit is bearing witness. We're heirs, join heirs with Christ because the Spirit bears witness. We're waiting for the adoption, verse 23, uh, first fruits of the Spirit. We pray because we have the Holy Spirit interceding for us. We pray effectively. And all, all things work together for good. We're conformed to the image of His Son, victory, and we have provision, the last uh, 28 through 32. All those things, all those things, that's the transformed life coming out of the cocoon after we get saved. We lived that life before. We couldn't please God. It was impossible to please God. We couldn't even do one work that would please God. We're lost. The only thing we can do is repent. But now we're saved, and this is the life that God has given us. Now, our application. Sometimes we, listen, Sometimes we think that the victorious Christian life depends on us. We say, Romans 12, 1 and 2, that's not where I'm living. I don't, I don't live that way. I'm too, I, I feel like a failure a lot of the time. I have dreams and desires and I want to serve God and I don't seem to be doing a very good job. And I need to try harder. I need to try harder. I need to figure out a system. I need to find a plan. I need to read a book that tells me how to live the victorious Christian life. We think it depends on us. But you know what it really depends on? The Spirit. If we would just go to the Spirit, if we would be led by the Spirit, if we would seek the filling of the Holy Spirit, guess what happens? All those things happen pastor oftentimes says this. He, he, he speaks about how folks have, we have all kinds of baggage, don't we? <laughs> but the best way to get rid of baggage is be filled with the Spirit. And then God just starts taking care of it. Our, our dear, uh, our you friends, 
when they get into the program. Lots of baggage, right? When you have lots of baggage, what do you do? Just start getting the Word of God, right? Start praying. Get close to God. And guess what? It starts to go, get saved, and it, and it just starts to disappear. See, we've got missionaries all over the world that are all by themselves. They're working alone. We've got all sorts of places around the world where there's nobody. And I think God has called some people, but they've been afraid because they say, I can't do it. I can't do it. Well, join the club. When I got up here this evening, I said, I can't do it. <laughs> you know? We can't do it. We can't do it. Spirit, help. <laughs> Fill me. You do it. And he does. He does. I've, we've been in missions for a long, long time. You know, we've, I won't tell you how many years. <laughs> But we've been serving, you know, in different places around the world and working with missionaries all around the world. And you'd be surprised some of the people that God uses. Because they are filled with the Spirit. I can remember when I was five, the first time I really knew that God was working on my heart, I did not go forward because I was afraid. I think that's what a lot of people are. God's moving in their heart. This is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. But we're afraid because we can't do it. We can't. The Spirit can. The Spirit can't. 